Welcome to Ask a Lawyer with me, Steve Sleeper. Our guest today is attorney Shonda Lynch with Foster O'Daniel Hambridge and Lynch in Evansville, Indiana. Attorney Lynch has taught several DUI defense workshops and is a member of the National College for DUI Defense. She's handled hundreds of DUI cases over the years. I began the interview by asking Shonda about herself and her firm. I am a partner with Foster O'Daniel Hambidge and Lynch here in Evansville, Indiana. I've been an attorney for about 23 years. Uh, I'm originally from the Seattle area, met my husband in the Caribbean in 1997, and I've lived here uh, after I completed law school. We've lived here, uh, moved to North Carolina for a bit, started my career as a prosecutor. I was a prosecutor the first uh, 10 years of my career as a DUI prosecutor here and then uh, assistant district attorney in Buncombe County, North Carolina, which is the beautiful city of Asheville, and then was chief deputy in Perry County here in Indiana uh, before switching over to defense in 2011. I have always focused on DUI cases, whether it was prosecution or defense. I created the DUI program for Vanderbilt County um, and worked with our prosecuting attorneys council to develop a prosecutor mentor program, uh, educating prosecutors around the state about the pitfalls and, and just everything about DUIs. And so that was a good transition when I came into private practice. Um, it's been traditionally the, the main focus of my practice, though it seems in recent years, I'm doing far more murders, life without paroles, level one rapes, child molests, um, than I really quite care to. My, my passion is, is a DUI defense. Uh, my partners, I have one other partner that also does nothing but criminal defense. So that's what I do. I do nothing but criminal defense and expungement work. And he does, my partner, Mark Foster, does only criminal defense and specialized driving privilege work. And then my other two partners do family law. What should I expect from a good DUI defense lawyer? When I look at DUIs, as I, I really, what I've learned is I don't look at them any differently as I did as a prosecutor that I do now as a defense attorney, because we're really both sides of the same very slim coin. So what my philosophy is on a DUI is I want to make sure that uh, everything is addressed that needs to be addressed. And I want to make sure everyone did their job the way they're supposed to do their job. But first and foremost, when I have a client come in, um, you know, there, there's reasons why people get DUIs. OK, there's there could be drug or alcohol addiction. There could be mental health issues. It, it could be fa uh, familial, uh, uh, you know, culture, um, desperation sometimes. But my first job is always to look at my client and say, why are you in my why are you in my office? Why do you find yourself charged with your first offense DUI or your fifth offense DUI? And then we figure out what we need to do to address there. So get them into some counseling or treatment or sometimes, you know, long term inpatient treatment. Um, because if I don't resolve the reason that got them into the DUI, it doesn't matter how the case gets resolved. Right. Right. Because um, they'll be back here again. Mm -hmm. So that's always my. Step. And then and then what I always do is what I call a critical analysis of the evidence. I take all the discovery. And in Indiana, we have open discovery, meaning they have to give us everything they intend to use. Um, I look at the discovery, do a critical analysis of it to make sure, because as you know, there are so many moving parts in the DUI. Was it was it a good stop? 
is the uh, the stopping investigating officer is he qualified to investigate a DUI? Has he had any issues on prior DUI cases that we need to be aware of or disciplinary issues? Was the uh, portable breath test offered appropriately? Was the, were the field sobriety tests offered appropriately? Is that officer, has he been through his recertification of SFST? Um, was implied consent given? Was Miranda required and was it given? And then you get into the, in Indiana, we use the ECIR, breath testing machine, which is a piece of junk, but you have to make sure that everything was working properly in that ECIR and, or if it was a blood test, um, was it a hospital that had a GCMS spec? Was it functioning or did the state go, the lab go to the state lab? Are there any issues at the state lab? Was the state lab run test ran appropriately? Are those people certified appropriately? Have there been any issues in the lab recently? So there's, there's a very in-depth look as to, as to, what's gone on before I can give my client an opinion of where their case should go. And I think that's what, I think that's what a good DUI attorney does. Meaning, meaning I've been, I've been to, I'm one of only 12 attorneys in the state of Indiana that's had formal training on the ECIR machine. Um, I've been through the state lab pharmacology and toxicology training. I, they won't give me a certificate, but I've been through field sobriety testing um, the, the course. Uh, I, I know what a PBT is made of and how it's calibrated and how often it needs to be recalibrated. What And like, you have to make yourself little mini experts on every aspect of a DUI. God forbid there's a crash. You need to understand what crash reconstruction is and what it all means. Um, you have to understand the pharmacology and toxicology about drugs and alcohol to know how it could impair your, your client. And so a good DUI attorney, very long winded answer is you've got to be a little mini expert on all these different components of a DUI in order to effectively represent your client and to, and to accomplish what's in their best interest. Mind you, I didn't say to find a not guilty. I said to accomplish what's in their best interest. If I get pinched in Indiana, what I have to, do I have to take a field sobriety test? Can I decline it? What's the deal? Absolutely decline it. You can, um, you can decline the portable breath test on the on the, the roadside test. You can de- decline that. Um, you can decline field sobriety tests. A lot of individuals stop for DUI think that they have to comply with that. And sometimes if you've got a body cam or in-car camera, an officer will advise someone that they'll be suspended if they don't take the field sobriety test. That's not correct. You don't have to consent to anything. Now, if if you if they have probable cause... And they offer you, they read you our implied consent and, and ask you to take a, a test, a certified test, then there are there are ramifications for denying that. If you deny it, it's an automatic one-year suspension. If you have a prior conviction for DUI and you deny the implied consent test, it's an automatic two-year suspension. But no, for um for uh, the PBT and and the field sobriety tests, you you do not have to comply with any of that. What about marijuana? How hard is that to prove? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, as you know, there's no quantifiable amount of marijuana in someone's blood um, that that they can say you're intoxicated or not. Now, I will say in the pharmacology of of, of drugs and alcohol, pharmacology and toxicology of drugs and alcohol, marijuana, the easiest way to say it scientifically is if it's in your blood, it, then it's in your brain, meaning it is impairing you in some in some way, shape or form. If it's in your urine only, if they do a blood and urine screen and it's only in your urine, then those are the metabolites of the break, breaking down of THC and you are not considered to be impaired. However, in the state of Indiana, you can have a per se violation for having the metabolites in your urine. So you can still get charged, even though 
because it's a it's a prima facie status offense just to have it in your system, period. Wow. Um, but in order to be charged with like a DUI death or serious bodily injury, it would have to be in your blood. But you can't say you can't say you had 290 nanograms per milliliter of active THC uh, or Delta nine in your blood. Therefore, you were high as a kite. There's no there's no way to quantify that because there's never been any research on it because it's been unethical to do the research on it. So now with all these states legalizing the use of marijuana, now they're all going, uh oh, we haven't we haven't even attempted the science the last 50 years. And now, you know, theoretically, I could go home to the state of Washington where marijuana is illegal and I could smoke up all week. I'm home. I don't do it, but I, I could. And if I came if I let's let's say I smoke it's this is not scientifically wrong, but just for argument's sake, let's say. I smoked marijuana before I got on the plane in Seattle and I took a Learjet home and I got home two hours later. And then on my way home from the airport, I got in a wreck and I killed someone and they took my blood and my urine as they are required to in the state of Indiana uh, or required to offer it. You can refuse it and it's an infraction. But if, if they don't have probable cause, they have to, they, they, you know, they, they need to take your blood and urine. If I had marijuana in my blood, I'd be charged with DUI death. So all these states are going to be dealing with no one has it quantified. Different states have different standards. If it's some states are they're trying to push for meta- we had someone charged here. They were trying to charge them with the death for having the metabolite of a metabolite of marijuana in their system. State of Arizona, I think, is trying to legal uh, uh, make it illegal to have the metabolite of metabolite in your in your in your urine. So um, marijuana is a huge mess. It's going to be for a great number of years, and some people are unfortunately going to be wrongfully charged with DUI, serious bodily injury, or death, because the laws are so screwed up. How about prescription meds? Like, uh, let's say I have a prescription for Xanax. Could I get uh, pinched for that? Or uh... And um, in the state of Indiana, you uh, having a valid prescription is a defense to DUI. However, it is on the burden of the defense to demonstrate that the level in their blood, level in their blood, meaning blood in the brain, the level in their blood was um, uh, therapeutic levels within therapeutic levels. So if, if, I'm, if I'm prescribed Xanax and I can take uh, 25 milliliters twice a day, um, but I have an accident and I kill someone or either, even I'm pulled over on suspicion of just impairment. Um, if they draw my blood and I'm not within those, whatever those levels would show, then I can be, I can absolutely be charged for, um, for DUI. We, we had a problem with clonopin in this area about 10 years ago and people were taking three or four, you know, they're, they're prescribed clonopin for pain. They're supposed to take one as needed, and they're they're taking five or six, and um, they're all they were all having ac- accidents, and and uh, apparently when you're on a lot of clonopin, if you have an accident, you you have an accident, if you know what I mean. Right. So uh, I called them the pooper cases, the pooper cases. Um, so yeah, you can you can get a DUI for prescription med- medications if if a um, a if it's not your prescription and you have it in your system that could be a felony okay because mm-hmm, you don't have mm-hmm. a valid script but um, if you're not using your prescribed medications within therapeutic levels then yes you absolutely can be charged with DUI how many of your cases plea out versus going to court 
So I take cases in 14 different counties in Southern Indiana. And yes, I am crazy. I don't know why I do that, but I do. Um, I think mainly because I, I love working with different prosecutors and different judges all the time. And people often want someone from out of their county because they think it's a good old boys network. And so I, I take cases almost everywhere in Southern Indiana. Most of them do plead out. Mm-hmm. Either because they get dismissed because there's an evidentiary issue or like in Vanderbilt County here, we have a first offense deferral program, whereas you go through their program and the case gets dismissed. Uh-huh. Okay. Some counties will, will on a first offense reduce to a reckless driving. We have other counties with first, you know, first offense deferral programs. The cases for me personally, and I'm not trying to sound like this, but when I was a prosecutor, I tried so many DUI cases that I don't have to try many anymore because I'm going to do the critical analysis because I'm going to help fix my client because I'm going to, you know, I'm going to result. I'm, I'm doing that work that that gets me to a better result ultimately. And so I don't have to try those cases that work, that critical analysis and fixing the client also gets me to better resolutions for my client. So um, really I don't try many run-of-the-mill DUIs anymore. Uh, yeah. If I if I case I'm trying a DUI death or a serious bodily injury cases case, I think in general practice, general DUI people that focus on DUIs, I I think the answer is very similar. There's a lot of ways to resolve a case, and I think the common belief amongst criminal practitioners anymore is uh, we don't like juries because they make bad decisions and. There's kind of an unwritten rule in Southern Indiana. If you try, if you want to try a case, that's fine. If you get convicted, your client's going to prison. So there's right. a there's a whole lot of risk there. So you know, I might try six cases a year, maybe, and it varies year to year. It also, you know, we had a rash of S- sorry, I use acronyms: SBIs, serious bodily injuries, and death. I think about ten years ago, we had either. 10 deaths and or serious bodily injury cases that occurred in 11 nights. And so those all got resolved around the same time. And the prosecutors here said, you know, we're not making any deals. So you can either have a trial or your client can plead open and beg, beg upon mercy of the court. So it's just, it's also cyclical about what's going on in our community. Courts and prosecutors and defense attorneys, we don't, I don't mean to sound this way, but we don't have time to try every case. We have a backlog from COVID of almost 600 cases right now um, because of everything got shut down during COVID. And so there's just not, there are not enough prosecutors, there's not enough defense attorneys, there's not enough judges and not, not enough courts to, if, if, to try every case. So just by its own nature of the beast, I would guesstimate 90% of cases come to some sort of resolution. Okay, my last question. Okay. Let's say... I plan on pleading guilty. I'm racked with guilt. Uh, I just want to take my lumps. I, 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 I'm going to admit I was, I was drunk. Do I still need an attorney? You always need an attorney. If I got a DUI tonight, I would hire an attorney. And I'm in Mark Foster and I are probably the, the two most knowledgeable. I won't say the best. I'll say the most knowledgeable DUI attorneys in the, in Southern Indiana. And I would hire an attorney and I wouldn't hire Mark. Because I, w- I would want someone to look at my case and treat me in an unbiased fashion and be honest with me about the strengths and weaknesses of my case. So, so here in Indiana, 
you can't just walk in and plead guilty. At your first appearance, a not guilty plea is entered for you automatically. And even even if the, the individual says, no, 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 I want to plead guilty, the judge would say, no, you need to say, take some time and I'll give you time to hire counsel. Or if you want to represent yourself, we're going to come back and I'm going to advise you about all the bad, why that's a bad idea. Or we'll give you a public defender. But um, I tell my clients all the time, and this isn't just on DUIs, it's on all cases. I said, you could be, I don't really care if you're guilty or innocent. I care that everyone did their job correctly and, and everything, everything went according to, as it should have, because if there's not, there needs to be accountability. Can I give you an example? I, I had a client who he was absolutely guilty. He did not do a breath test. He uh, did not do the field sobriety test, but he agreed to take a certified chemical test at the jail. And he tested, he was, he was intoxicated. He was like a 0.15. Average DUI level in, in Vanderbilt County is about 0.18, by the way. Anyway, um, so I get all the all the discovery, and I'm looking at everything, and I, I pull up the ECR test, the breath test. is uh, It's recorded. There's a video camera in the room. And um, so I pull it up. I start watching it, and something's happened to the camera. It's pointing not at the, the machine and my client. It's pointing. All I can see is my client's feet. Oh, yeah. So, so. I call the prosecutor and I say, you got a problem here. And he's like, what? The test was 0.15. And I or whatever it was. I, and I, I said, Mr. Prosecutor, how do you know IAC 260 was followed appropriately? Well, the officer would say he did. I go, of course the officer would say he did. <laughs> no, it was. A and without that evidence, that breath test does not come in and you have no other, no other quasi scientific evidence to, to prove that. And that, that case got dismissed. Um, so he didn't have to go through a one-year program and he didn't have to be subject to breath testing or urine testing every day. And he didn't have to pay $1,500 in expenses for that program. And he didn't lose his license for 90 days or a year. You know, it's because I, because I, we took the time to look at the evidence and the consequence for that screw up was his case got thrown out and they got to fix their problem. Now, I don't know how many attorneys went back I, we don't know how long that camera has been pointing down at his feet. And I don't know how many cases that could have affected, but I know that I look at my, my tape every single time. So I knew how it wasn't affecting any of my other cases, but who else that night, they didn't bother to look at that video and they pled their client out to something or, or the client just came in without counsel and, and pled to something he didn't need to, because there needed to be that accountability. Make sense. Yep. It sure does. I had a, a, a client hire me a couple years ago and he had had two other attorneys on his case and the case had pended for quite some time. And I, I don't know what the issues with the other attorneys were, but the case just wasn't getting resolved and it wasn't getting tried. So he hired me to look at his case. Well, it had been a blood draw and the case was old enough that I recognized almost instantly if there's not a a confirmatory test in this file and this discovery from the state lab, either one was ever done or, or the results were lost. And so um, I called up the prosecutor. I said, can you look into this for me? Well, it turned out the blood was never tested. It was sent up there. It was never tested. And because the request wasn't made within X, X number of days or X number of months, they got rid of the sample. So his case got thrown out because of that. 
but what what kind of astounded me is like how could two other attorneys look at that i mean i i found it like that i mean i looked at it and i'm like Ooh, that's not right two other attorneys looked at that and didn't think to ask the question of where's the blood and where's the confirmatory result so that's why you need an attorney because that client didn't know that either so if someone representing themselves certainly doesn't know what to be looking for and so you really, I mean, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but you got to know what you're talking about. You got to know what you're doing in order to be an effective DUI attorney. So, so yes, anyone charged with a DUI needs an attorney because they need someone to, to, that has the knowledge to look at everything to resolve their case properly. Our thanks to attorney Shonda Lynch with Foster O'Daniel Hambridge and Lynch in Evansville, Indiana, for being our guest on Ask a Lawyer with me, Steve Sleeper. Her phone number is 812-424-8101, and her website is fohlaw.com.